Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for part two of our pre-season Supercoach episode that was featuring the Sydney Roosters as well as the Newcastle Knights. This is part two, so we're going to continue the discussion with Luke Garrity, host of the Rugby League Cemetery Podcast, massive Knights fan and prominent, very prominent jersey collector. Go jump on Instagram and have a look at his jerseys. It is crazy, all the jerseys Luke has. But let's continue the discussion, part two of the podcast we get stuck into the Newcastle Knights. <laughs> Big make or break here for the Knights. Um, looking at their uh, side, first of all, with the gains and losses. Now, I mean, I I tend to think that the Knights could put it together this year, and I could see a realm of possibility where that happens. They've obviously been reasonably active, um, but you know, when you're having a look at it, really, they got Adam Elliott from the Raiders, He's a reasonable signing. Jackson Hastings is a pretty big one. I think that's going to make a big difference when you compare what the spine was before. Lachlan Miller has finally come over from the Sharks, which will make a big difference as well. And you've got guys like Hetherington that have probably bigger wraps on him than what he's actually shown as a forward. Losses-wise, I really always like Mitch Barnett. Um, I think David Clemmer is very good. So I certainly think there's a lot of guys in that pack that need to stand up, but certainly your backs, uh, I think, have gotten a bit better. Yeah, I think uh, it's a tough one. I think so. I think Hastings is a, is a good get uh, for the team, but I, I'm conscious that while I really like him personally and that I think he's a good organising halfback, he's also coming from one of the few teams that did even worse than us last year. So, I mean, uh, he, he, he didn't get a lot out of the Tigers, uh, so we remain to be seen there. Miller, Miller should be a good signing, but I'm a bit hesitant on him, and I'm sure we'll talk about him at one point or another but we have a situation where he, he played six games of the NRL and none of those teams made the top eight. So our look at how good or otherwise he might be is very skewed by the fact that he has yet to play anyone good. Um, to, just to give you that, he played against the Bulldogs, Dragons, Knights, Seagulls, Tigers and Titans, which is a fairly... Dream run. Well, if you want to get a contract, that is a good six games to pick and play. <laughs> but, and, and I actually think he's a good player, but that... that if you're going to pick six games to put yourself on the shop window, just saying I want these six is not a bad shout <laughs> in a top four set team, right? Like they came in the top four and you're going to just seamlessly slot in. Um, the gains and losses overall, I think the backs are a little bit stronger. I think that the forwards have taken a bit of a hit. Uh, Clemmer being out is a bit of a hole. And we've also, it hasn't been announced yet, but we're also trading one of our best young 18-year-old props for Miller. And that's that's a, a really not a sharp one. And if you'll indulge me for, I'll try and keep it very brief. Uh, the Knights have shown a complete lack of any sense and understanding of how to negotiate and trade. Um, if they were an American sport, they'd just be laughed out of here for how bad they've been because <laughs> it's a much bigger thing trading over there. And if you look Quick, at them, We can get 18 cents on the dollar. Oh, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> oh, you have a look. If you think about it, like as a poker player or, or an NBA team, that's trying to hold assets and trade. You look at the Knights, okay? So the Knights, when there was there was a halves market that had Nico Hines, Adam Reynolds, Sean Johnson, uh, and a couple I'm forgetting, maybe Moses and, and someone else, all in it. That um, was Burton, I think, uh, all in it at the same time. And and the Knights signed a mid thirties year old Mitchell Pearce who was struggling for one more year and priced themselves out of that market by signing him up in the preseason when no one was interested in signing Mitch. 
at that point. Like nobody it was right when he got in trouble again and nobody was trying to get him. Um, we then sign him for one year and get to a halves market that has no one in it. Then we get to that halves market with no one in it. He asked for a release. And instead of saying no, or maybe when we find someone, they just said yes. And we're like, we'll go and get someone. So then they went to market and we're like, we want someone and showed themselves to be completely desperate to get a half bag. So the Tigers who didn't even want Luke Brooks anymore started holding him over a barrel uh, so badly that we never got him. We spent a year trying to get him and never got him. And whilst that sounds good to me, because I don't want him, uh, he, they identified a target that they wanted and showed themselves to be totally desperate by showing everyone they had no half bag spend a year chasing him, get to the next death off-season, identify him as the main target again, uh, still don't get him and get so bent over sideways that they actually end up taking that same team's second choice. Like that team proposed taking their second halfback, the guy they wanted less than Brooks to us. Um, I like him better, but the Knights didn't. They wanted Brooks. So they took the second choice halfback from the Tigers and to do it, they traded their international front rower who's on 800,000 to the Tigers and are paying half of it. So they're paying 400,000 for Clement to go to the Tigers to take the halfback the Tigers wanted second most off their list, not even the one the Knights actually wanted the most. And I actually prefer Hastings. So I'm not that bothered by that outcome, but that actual structure, if you were the Knights and had that plan, is appalling. And they followed that up after that by announcing publicly that Caelan Ponga was moving to 5'8", when they didn't have any fullback on the books. Like, even if they'd just kept Tex Hoy around, that would have been a bit of a poker face. But they send Hoy overseas, announce publicly that Ponga is playing 5'8", and then start trying to take fullbacks from other clubs who realise they're desperate. They thought they had Garrick and Manly started playing real hardball on it because they're like, they're desperate. And that's what you do. And in the end, what they've had to do is despite already giving up Clemmer and despite being very short in the front row to actually get uh, the second choice fullback from Cronulla and maybe the third choice Miller, he might've even been third uh, to get him out of reserve grade at another club. They had to trade an 18 year old front rower who in the last six months was in the SG ball grand final, the Jersey flag grand final, the new South Wales under 19s team, and then was promoted into the Knights top 30 and considered to be a very good chance and written up to maybe debut this year, Max Bradbury. So I, it remains to see how good on otherwise Bradbury will be, but they'd identified him as a key player for the future. He's made all the right, rep teams were short in the front row he's from Newcastle he's a local kid and they got so bent over sideways that to get the Sharks third choice fullback they had to give up the guy that on their prop charts is the best junior front rower in the club and that I hope you'll allow me to apologize for ranting on about that but if you look at that as a series of negotiations and poker faces from the club it is just appalling it's appalling how badly they've managed the last 18 months of recruitment it's, it's, it's just we do all love getting you on to talk Newcastle, Luke Garrity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, how do you answer that? Like, if there's one, all they do is make it clear that they are desperate and short for spine players and then go cup in hand to other clubs begging and give up way too much for it. I mean, haste it, like Hastings for Clemmer and 400 grand of Clemmer's contract being paid when you wanted Brooks for Clemmer in a straight swap is pretty bloody average, isn't it? As a negotiation tactic, albeit I prefer oh, look, Hastings. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> like uh, you'd look for someone like Clemmer that was still had a really good output. You'd prefer just to keep him, especially when you are already giving up another young front rower to leave. Like you prefer just to keep him, and if the Tigers really wanted him, you know mm. they could take him for maybe half the price that the the Knights are paying or something like yeah. that. It's, I'd have done the, the swap. Knights, I'd have done the swap, but the the money on top and back. 
that they thought Brooks was better. You and I might not think that, and I don't. But if you were like, I want Luke Brooks for David Klenner, and the deal you end up doing is, is the Tigers say, you can have this other guy that we don't want instead if you pay half of Klenner's contract is pretty mm-hmm. appalling because they'll be paying Hastings six or seven um, pretty easily, five minimum, you'd think, and then they'll be paying Klemmer 400 to not play. And then they've also lost one of the guys that might have come in for Clemmer to get Lachlan Miller, who was the third string reserve grade Sharks fullback and was not going to play for Cronulla this year. <laughs> so I think what you're saying is the Knights are the, the guy at the table playing poker with their cards back to front. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Um, but but that aside, with the actual team they're going to put out, I don't know how they're going to go because there's just too many um, ifs and buts there. You're talking about how is Hastings going to fit in and will he bark the team around? Then you're saying... How will uh, will Ponga go in a new position? And how will Miller go playing fullback full-time when we haven't seen that? And the answer to a lot of that is uh, it's just too hard to say. I think the odds are that they'll be quite bad and we'll miss the eight comfortably. But uh, it's just one of those things. We all know how talented Caelan Ponga is. And if he was to put it together, they might go up the table. But uh, I'm finding it hard to see at the moment. Um, Hastings will help a lot. They were really rudderless last year. And I think he's a really good barking directing halfback who will hold them to account and push them around the field. But there's a lot of holes in that team, um, a hell of a lot of holes, and I, I I don't have a lot of hope. I've got them sort of 10 to 15 in their range. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, yeah. I don't think they'll finish the bottom few. I, I think they, they can keep themselves out of that. But I'd also not put it past them because it could all absolutely blow up. Like you could have O'Brien sacked by week six or something and Pong are injured and a whole lot of things could happen to them. But... Looking at the draw for Supercoach is really important because their, their draw is very, very mm. good. So it is mm. round 10 is their first buy. So you know whoever you start with, you're going to get nine rounds straight of value out of. And basically, you're going to trade them in round 10 because they've got the buy again in round 14. So they start off, though, with an outstanding six weeks. Like you'd, you'd mm. say arguably could be the best six weeks out of anyone. Um, half of their games are at Newcastle, which is good. They start with the Warriors and the Tigers. Now, they're, they're good games to start with. They're both away and the Tigers are obviously better. But then they hit the Dolphins and the Raiders, both playing in Newcastle. Uh, then they've got the Seagulls away and then they've got the Warriors at home. So they got the Warriors two out of the first six games and they also get to have the Dolphins and the Tigers. So that's actually five out of the six uh, teams that didn't make the eight last year. It's a very good start, and especially when you consider that, you know, that they're buying until round 10, like I said. The problem is that that 7, 8, and 9, they do have the Panthers, the Cowboys, and the Eels. So it's one of those things, though, where you could comfortably say, I'm going to have somebody for six weeks from Newcastle, and that's, that's a good amount of games to get from someone, and then just trade them out before they hit that bad run. I think you could go really well with that. The problem for Newcastle is when we look at their gun status, they don't have any. So <laughs> nobody averaged 60-plus points per mm-hmm. game, the traditional criteria for a supercoach gun. So one thing on the on the draw, one thing on that, I, I would say that for all my negativity at the start, there's two things, is that O'Brien is under a lot of pressure, which means he will front-load the season because he will get sacked. If they, if, if they come out and go three out of ten, he will get sacked. Um, and that wouldn't be a bad outcome, frankly, because I don't think they're going to be that good. But I think there is a very good chance he is absolutely flogged on this preseason to come out hard. Uh, he did manage to do that in a couple of other seasons where they did come out of the bat quite hard and then fade. And I think we will see that. I think that you will uh, that will be a bit of a false dawn for us is you will probably see us 
get some wins early. It's a soft draw, and I think they'll be absolutely primed to come out and try and bank some wins to get the pressure off the coach. That'll be his plan. So if you can find any guys you want, there is a big shout in doing that. Yeah, I like it for Supercoach. For Knights fans, I feel really bad for you guys and girls because it's going to be a second-half capitulation. I think we're absolutely downhill from that midpoint of the season onwards. Nothing new, nothing new. (laughs) Let's talk about the fallen guns since we don't have any guns. Kylan Pong is going to be the first one. I mean, he's a guy that he's always considered Newcastle's gun, but he's coming in averaging 50.4 points per game last season. Means he's only 530,600. And I think that all that's very interesting. So for me, I'm going to say outright, Teddy's my first fullback, like I said. My second one, I'm choosing between Kalen Ponga and Turbo at the moment. That might sound a little bit crazy. So <laughs> I'm going to have to explain myself a little bit. The thing that worries me is that Ponga's obviously always hurt, it seems. He's played 14 games a season for the last two years in a row. He's already hurt in the preseason which means he's racing the clock from round one anyway. Um, but in saying that, the other thing too is that when he did play last year, I thought he looked really poor. So, you know, there is definitely some big risks there. But he's only priced at 50 points per game. Now, the years before, he went 68, 80, 68, 66. He has been between 66 and 80 points basically his career since he's been starting. So 50 is a humongous drop-off for a guy that's only 24 years old. If that happens to somebody who's 30, you go, well, that's their downturn. You know, they're, they're not coming back. They're, they're probably gone as an option. He's he's not yet his prime yet. So I think it's really interesting because for me, there is a tremendous amount of value. Like oh, I'd be surprised if there isn't between 12 and 15 points in value easily. Now, if you do move his two injury affected games out of last year, and this is key as well, he gets closer towards a 60 average. And in those games, he only played like six and seven minutes. So it's pretty big. His four tries last year was his worst strike rate since his rookie year. Uh, So there's definitely more tries in him. Um, I do think that at six, he is going to have some good opportunity to score tries. And one of the things, Luke, last year is that I didn't like about him. You know, when you look at his base and base attack, it, it just wasn't there enough for him at fullback anyway. Uh, so it was around 33 points per game. It's just not enough. But if you're putting him in at six, he is going to have to tackle more. But more importantly, he will miss tackles, of course. But more importantly, he is going to get a lot more ball. And one of my things that I think I lamented with you during games and stuff when we were chatting in various chats and stuff too, that he's just not getting involved enough. He's not going and putting his hands on the ball. He's not going and being that alpha, that playmaker, that leader. He's just not doing it enough. And because of that, he, he wasn't, making enough big plays to score well in Supercoach. When he was touching the ball, he was still making some good plays. He just wasn't doing anywhere near enough. And I dare say he was a bit, I don't know whether it was laziness. It's probably the wrong word, but he just wasn't getting involved. He was a bit gun shy maybe. But at six, and this is where the narrative kind of kicks in, I like him at six. I think it's going to force his base to go up. I think it's going to force his involvement in the tuck to go up. And I think it's going to force him to have the ball in his hands. And when he does have the ball in his hands, if he is healthy, uh, things can happen with Kalen Ponga. We talked about that draw as well. You know, when you're benchmarking him against someone like Turbo as your second fullback, I want to go Turbo. Uh, merely have an earlier buy, though. And with Kalen Ponga, you know that first six weeks, it's a, it's a mint draw, and you've actually got him until round 10 before he has his first buy. That's a big deal. At 530000 you could get you know, a tremendous amount of value. And generally, when you're looking at these guys, Luke, like a Kalen Ponga that can score big in the past, one of the things is... 
they might have a 68 average, say, maybe get back to 2021 where he had a 68 average. But to get that, they absolutely blitz it for periods where they have a good draw against bad teams. So potentially, maybe that first six weeks, he's got a 75 to 80 average. And, and if you get that out of your second fullback for 530,000, geez, you, you're going well in Supercoach for that first couple of months of footy. Yeah, it's an interesting argument. Um, I think the tough thing is Turbo's price, like the fact that there's so little to go up to Tom Trevojevic, who will almost certainly outscore him, is is probably the concern for me. I thought that he would be dual 5'8", and I still hold some hope they might do that. I don't understand why he wouldn't be. Most, I mean, like, you've got um, Brandon Smith fully locked in at hooker because he's playing hooker for East. So I don't understand how the game would not, when everyone knows Kalen's going to play 5'8", I don't understand even if he's not dual, he should be just five eight. Like he's not going to play fullback, so I don't understand. Better than even money chance. Yeah, that'll get updated. That's so it. we should probably yeah. talk to him as a five eight, probably well, as well. That's the easy one. I think he. I think he's your five eight. Um, the word now the calf injury is interesting because before that and even after that, the word was that provided he was fit and able to practice, that he was going to be the goal kicker. Um, Hastings was the other option. Now I don't know if that's changed, but that was certainly the word from the people who know what they're talking about, even after the calf, it was like if the calf pulls up okay and he's able to practice and he's good to go, you know, that he was probably going to be goal kicking, which makes a big difference. He's not the world's best goal kicker, but he, he kicked in the mid-70s in his first season. He's, he's not a mug. When he practices and works hard at it, he's not that bad. So that's one with a soft jaw to look at as well. Um, I think it's a no-brainer to look at him at 5'8", if, if that's where he goes, and, and fullback, I probably couldn't do it. It, it. He's an interesting one, though. He With the involvement thing, the thing that gets me is it's easy to say he should be more involved at 5'8", but the thing with him is it's just about how much he wants this. If he, he should also have been more involved at fullback. It, it's Sometimes we get a bit stuck. Um, the Knights fans do it all the time of being like, if he went here, this would happen. Or if we gave him the ball here, that would happen. And the reality is a lot of it's personal is he doesn't go looking for it. He doesn't go demanding it. And if he doesn't do that, it won't matter what position he goes to. He's never going to have that dominance that he's shown he can have. And it's really up to him. If he, if he commands the ball all the time, um, if I was the Knights, all I would have him doing is watching tape over and over of Cameron Munster all the time because that's the player he can be at 5'8". He's got those dancing feet. Uh, he's quicker, but he's got that power like Munster because of his pace and sidestep and, and his ability to do stuff off the cuff. And he should be trying to get that many involvements out on that edge and playing a really similar game. And if he does that, he'd be averaging in the mid-70s. But, it, but he's never really shown any desire as time's gone on to be that dominant player. And moving position doesn't make that automatic. It, it's, you're right, he should get the ball more, but it's always been about what he wants to do and whether he wants it. If he wants it badly, he'll average 75 in Supercoach this year and he'll be in the top five in the, the Dally M's and all of that. But he, I haven't, every year I say that and I'm still, I'm not seeing any evidence. There's too many times where he's just happy to sit back and do his job, wait for the ball to get to him and run his plays. And until that changes, neither will he. But at the price, uh, I'm interested anyway. Like he certainly, I think, even allowing for his personal failings, I think he has to go up from there. Yeah, and when you consider the draw too. And look, what I would say about what you were saying too is I think that this is, and it's it's silly, it sounds silly to say this out loud when you say it's a make or break year for a 24-year-old that's, you know, still becoming the superstar they could be and still got a lot of growth and development in their game. But it's it kind of is for me like he's sort of 
came to Newcastle with high expectations, showed them early, and then hasn't shown great leadership, um, hasn't shown a great desire or motivation at times, uh, has been injured quite a bit, but also hasn't shown a great commitment to helping himself with those injuries either and working on them. It's you know quite well documented a couple of times without drinking and different things and whatever. Look, that's all fine, but what it culminates into is that you can get away with that for a little while, but we're kind of at the point now where he asked for a lot of money and he got it, and now it's time to deliver, Caelan. And I think that he feels that. And I think that the coaches, how much O'Brien is under pressure, he will put that onto Caelan as well. And, you know, if he doesn't respond, I don't want to throw him on the scrap heap, but it's almost like a Sean Johnson type of scenario, isn't it? Where you go, look, if, if he's not going to respond at this point, he's had several years in first grade, maybe he's never going to get to that superstar player. Um, he's just going to be one of those good players that has a lot of talent. And it really is that for me this year. Like, and if he knows that, and if he understands that, we could see the best out of him this year as well. No, you're absolutely right. I actually, it's the word I used about him quite recently to someone was that my worry, and I said this two years ago, and that's the worry because every year it's make or break, make or break. I said two years ago, my worry was that he could become a Sean Johnson circus act player, which means that his highlight reel looks incredible and that every year you'd be able to show these 10 wow moments, but it's in a team coming 13th that doesn't win, you know, like he makes these incredible plays that no one else could make, but his team's coming 13th and it's in a 50 to 12 loss where he scores an incredible try. And that that's my worry. And it's a bit unfair on Johnson who won a golden boot and was in a grand final and Ponga hasn't got close to doing either of those things. But um, nonetheless, like that's the worry is that he does a lot of cool stuff on Super Saturday, but he's inconsequential as a player in the competition. And that that is my worry for him. And I do think it's make or break. I thought it probably was last year. And all I will say is you're right. All that stuff should put pressure on him. But you're, you're thinking a lot about what you hope players' personalities are like, that they're going yeah, to fire yeah. up <laughs> under that pressure and want to do it. The bottom line is he, he is a – I don't want to bag him too much. I want him to be good. But he's been told he was a superstar since he was about 11 years old. He's been managed by his dad the whole time, who have told him how brilliant he is. They've given him everything he wanted. The Cowboys wanted him to play on the wing. Oh, no, you don't have to do that. He's a big contract in Newcastle. He comes here. Everyone loves you. tells you how good you are. Oh, you can have the captaincy even though you've done nothing. Oh, okay, you want a million dollars. You get that. Every Everything he's ever wanted in his life has been given to him. And if he's under the gun a bit, which he now is, because I'll tell you, I'm quite serious about this. He was getting booed last year by most of the Newcastle crowd. That's what I was going um, to bring up because I think that the, the thing that changed is that media and the fans actually turned on him a year ago. And I think that that's what will make the difference maybe. Yeah. You have no idea. The, the fans, when he was getting hurt, people were rolling their eyes and yelling. And when he came on the ground, he was being booed by the home fans and stuff and not by one or two. It, there's a lot, a lot of noise. And mm. it's, it's whether that might fire him up to come around, but he's not, been under that pressure he has had a very very easy run of it as a professional sportsman right from when he was young and I really hope that he gets it done it's all I want but I've got nothing to say that that's going to happen there's just been no evidence nothing I've seen in him has ever said it will happen and I hope I'm wrong well to finish on Kalen I I do think that he's a he's a great option at six if he doesn't get named there I do think he's an option as his second fullback 100% um, because of that draw because of the fact he doesn't have that buy until late and because I, I, he's going to be goal-kicking and I can't see him not scoring more tries, okay? So if he's healthy, there's just got to be a lot more points in him than 50 a game. And the upside of it is that, like Luke said, it can easily be 70-plus a game and might maybe even 80-plus over that period. He averaged 80 for the whole 2020 season. You know, I think that there's just too much upside there. I love him as an option. 
but there is obviously the risk. It is the quintessential risk-reward pick that you can make more than probably any other superstar, although Turbo's got that about him too with his injuries and stuff, so there's that there as well. When we're looking at other fallen guns, uh, Elliot has come over to the Newcastle Knights. as a bit of a big signing. Um, it's it's funny to say, but I think that his better half is actually the better part of the, that package deal <laughs> uh, for the NLW side. But on Adam Elliott, he is actually quite fancy this year. And I sort of understood it. And, like, I'm someone who quite likes, you know, to look at those sort of pod plays that can give you value and stuff. And so I was like, yeah, okay, that's, it's you know, that's a good one to look at and stuff. But he's now gone over 10% ownership and he's gone from 3 to 10% ownership very, very quickly. Uh, and all of a sudden, he's, there's a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon. Now, 564500 he's not cheap. He's based off an almost 54 average. Uh, I think that there's been some stats thrown out there, which are good stats from some of the other podcasts. So I'm not going to name them individually because a lot of them have said it. But 60-plus minute games, he averaged 71 last year. That's great and it's true and it's something that I would bring up as a positive as well. But there is quite a few caveats with that. You know, all of his attack, including his only two tries of the year, was in those games in that sample size. Um, and when you look at his 55-minute per game, it really projects it more like 57-ish points. So it's it, there's, there's some games last year when you look at that game log where he did play bigger minutes and they were absolutely putrid in scoring. You know, like... It's uh, He had a 52-minute 50, uh, game at 32 points, a 49-minute game at 36 points. Now, obviously, he's going to probably get more minutes and he's got those bigger games in him. But, you know, there's games in the 50s where he still scores in the 40s. Um, and there's a couple of big – there's a big outlier game of 104 points and a 99 and a 92. But other than that, there's a lot of real meat and potato stuff. And that's been Adam Elliott in the past. You know, he had one season in 2020 where he averaged 61. Um, but the minutes is the key, right? He averaged 54 points a game, like I said, but it was only in 52 minutes. And I think that a lot of people uh, may be getting too carried away with how many minutes Adam Elliott could get. Um, 75 minutes a game in 2021 only had 55 points, but admittedly a lot of that was on the edge. Most of it was. So, yeah, it's going to go up from that if he gets that type of minutes playing in the middle. But people, Luke, were saying, oh, you know, he could get 80 minutes a game. There is absolutely no way a, a 13 is going to get 80 minutes a game like Adam Elliott, it's it's not going to happen. I think most of the time when we see these type of guys, the best you can hope for is 60 minutes a game a lot of the time. And, you know, 60 minutes a game it probably pumps him up an extra eight points. So maybe he gets to a 62 average, maybe. Um, but that's not, it's just, it's kind of like those lodge type of options that are cheaper and stuff. It's just not that sexy to get that seven or eight points a game sometimes in that forward pack with some of the other options that you can go up to, like again, Angus Crichton, 100K more and stuff like that. So I don't want to sound like I'm hugely down on the option. It, it could pay off. It's just, oh, we've seen this before from Adam Elliott where he's had this potential and he hasn't really come through and he's had these spits and spurts. And last year, if you took out the middle, the middle of that season, you know, he, his first round one to 10 average was 41 points a game and round 19 to 26, it was 52 points a game. He really had a middle point where he scored two tries and, and played really well where he averaged 72. And that was like a real, you know, you're hoping that that sample is going to be elongated across a season. I don't really see that. Is there going to be value there? Yeah. I, I don't think there is as much value as what people were jumping on him for. So, what I would say is, Luke, I think he's a consideration. Um, he's not particularly expensive, and I'd say that you need to probably keep your expectations in check a little bit on him being an out-and-out gun. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not interested. Not really at the price. Um, not with the history there. I think he'll be fine and solid, but there's just much better options. I don't have much to add to what you, you had to say there, to be honest. I think that's pretty much spot on. What do you think that his minutes are going to be in his role? Uh, they should be all right because Clemmo is playing big minutes and the bottom line is someone's going to have to fill them. Um, the Safidis, like, obviously will go up a little bit, but they, they're not they're not really guys you want to play 50. You don't really want to play the Safidis for 60 minutes. Like, they're... they're impact front rowers, um, not like old 20-minute front rowers, but they're guys that you want to come on and hit hard and knock people over. They're not really there to save gas. So I think you'll get pretty good minutes in the middle. Uh, but it depends a bit what the bench makeup is. There's been a bit of talk of having Kurt Mann and Gamble on the bench. And if that happens, Mann will get quite a few minutes at lock, I think, as well. And we'll come on for Elliot and play, uh, albeit a much worse role. It'll be a similar role that they'll ask him to do. If they have one utility on the bench, he might get, 60 minutes, but I wouldn't surprise me if they don't. Uh, O'Brien hasn't really ever given anyone giant minutes. You think of uh, the way he played Watson when everyone wanted him in Supercoach the other year. And oh, what about Barnett at 13? Yeah, Barnett, Barnett yeah. at 13. Yeah, he, he's never really shown that he wants to play someone for 70, for example, minutes. I, I don't think that I don't think it'll be so big that you have to pick him. And if it is, just get him later. Like, you'll be able to trade someone else you've got to him. If he comes out and plays 80 minutes for the first three weeks, then you're not going to get burnt. You just can pick him up. You can trade someone else out then. I just wouldn't start with him. Yeah, and I sort of feel the same. I don't want to ride off too much because it could work out. And I know there's a lot of popularity on it, but I'm I'm really not on board with, with starting with him. I think there's much better options. And... Luke's right. Man, I can't believe people are forgetting about Kurt Mann. Kurt Mann was made into a 13. He started at 13 for a lot of games. Like he's... You don't have to remind me, but yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> and, and like people, this is a thing. People can disagree with it and say, well, it's silly. Yeah, maybe, but it was done and it's going to be done again. And Mann will be on the bench and Braley is an 80-minute hooker. He's going to go on and he's going to play 13. Now, it has to be at least... You'd think he's going to play 20 minutes a game. That puts him at 60 minutes, which is probably the prefaces of... Elliot being able to produce good enough to be a good option, a decent option, and only five minutes down and, and man plays 25 minutes and all of a sudden 55-minute Elliot isn't. And I think that some people were hoping that Elliot might move to the edge and play a bit combined. Um, that, that could happen, I guess, but there's a good chance that doesn't and he's just a 13. You know, it's, I think there's too many question marks with not enough upside to bother. I think he'll be the 13. I'm pretty confident. I could be wrong on that, but I think that they will. I think the people they're marking to use on the edge will probably be Hetherington, um, will be a maybe. And they'll also trade. They've spent a lot of time training Matt Croker to play there. um, And he's changed his body shape a lot to do it. I think those guys will be the preferred edge options along with Fitzgibbon when he gets fit will be, I think they will go to them before they go to Elliot. I think they'll use him in the middle. We're just too short. Otherwise you've got the Safidis who are very good players on their day, but there's not much depth there. So I do not think, I don't think they will waste Elliot's minutes on the edge in that team. I'd be surprised. Bradman Best, another fallen gun. He had a great season. His second, his first full year really in first grade. Um, 62 points a game in 2020, fell off to 52 in 2021. And before last preseason, we said, oh, he could be a good option. Geez, he could easily get back up to 60 plus. He ended up with a 51 point season in 2022, which again was punctuated by injuries, unfortunately. He's only played 14, 16 and 10 games per season the last three. He only went 60 plus 36% of the time. His highest score was 79. Uh, and he really did, he didn't have very many tries at all. He only had the five tries, which for him and the type of strike rate he should have is pretty poor. And those games as well, like his base is at 42 base, base attack, 31 raw base. That's declined as well. 
it's one of those things, Luke, where you look at these fallen guns, and for me, I look at these fallen guns like best because he comes in and he's not going to cost you a lot of money and you're looking at this draw and you're saying to yourself, well, what can I get on with this Newcastle draw? Who's going to score some points here? Who's going to get some clutch attack aside from their spine? Best comes in at 538900 Okay, so it, it's a little bit of an awkward price. You know, if he was 450, you know, I'd go up from the perms of the world and stuff and, and go for him. Um, the problem is that he's almost 540,000. Can you see any realm that he actually makes a bit of a comeback this year? Have you got any mail on his preseason and stuff? Because, you know, he could easily go 15 points a game better for the start of this, you know, and then all of a sudden you trade him on six rounds in. But I just don't have any faith in the guy anymore. And it's a shame because I love him as a player. Oh, I absolutely have the exact mail you'll want to hear, which is that he's training the house down, drop some weight to make it easier. Oh, oh here we go. Get him straight in. Get him yeah, straight exactly. In. Like, <laughs> like that, all the word is he's got, he's dropped some weight to make himself quicker. He went back to training early. He's fit and strong. He looks good. But um, that aside, but all be, uh, no interest. Uh, there, there is a world where he starts well, because there's a world where Kalen Ponger is now the left edge 5'8". Kalen Ponger is an elite left edge player. Bradman Best is on his outside. Uh, there is, you know, a perfect world where he comes out and scores a few tries in the early weeks, and that could happen. But for the price, I can't risk it. All I would say about Bradman is he was a uh, prodigiously talented junior. He broke onto the scene really well. But I do remind people that everyone who's big and fast breaks onto the scene well. You can go to Conrad Hurrell. You can go to Solomon Akata. You can go to Esan Masters. There's a vast majority of them when you are big as a kid you can burst on young and everyone goes oh how good is he when he's so young and he's so good but it's such a natural advantage so while he's even another one if you're really big when you're young you can burst on because you're physically big enough and powerful enough to fit in in a way that the other kids your age aren't um but that doesn't mean you go on to be a great player i hope he does he's got the capacity to but it's not automatic that just because he started well he has a great career and none of those guys i mentioned did and there's plenty of others i could pick on i'm not picking on them but to give you his career, let, let's have a look. 2020, he averaged 62, but he played 10 games. 51 in 2021, 16 games. 51 in 2022, 14 games. I, I, I'm not seeing that. The 50 is actually, A, more consistent than the 62. Like, he's averaged exactly the same thing two years in a row. Uh, the year before, he was 10 points better. Is that 10 points better worth the risk? Not in my opinion, particularly when his most ever games is 16 in the season. Uh, I want to see form from him consistently and I want to see scoring that we haven't really seen because that's 62 average it's 10 games if he had played 16 games that year it may well have been back in the 50s where his other ones are that might have been the 20 score that every center wing gets that brings it down right so I just don't think the history is there to take a punt at that price could he have a good year absolutely very talented kid and very very nice by all all accounts and I wish him well but I, I don't there's no history there that makes you think you should spend that on him the Knights wingers seem to, to seem to get the tries as well. And it's like you get the Kalen Ponga cutout balls and stuff and everything. That does seem more common, yeah. 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 So, I mean, when you look at Gagai, we're not going to look at him as an option, but he's similar. He only scored five tries for the year and he only scored those in three different games. Um, and he played most of, the, most of the season as well. It's the same with him. They just don't seem to get the tries. Uh, and even... Mm the last touches and stuff, like a lot of the time it's a cutout ball to the winger and stuff. So, yeah, they don't look like fantastic options and I think they'll stay as fallen guns. So I do hold out. The other thing with him is you mentioned work rate and the big thing that when you look at work rate, it's actually a really important thing for centres is to look who their winger is. And what you'll find a lot is that when a, for for example, when a centre's 
base drops off, it's often because there is a really high work rate winger over there who drags in and does a lot of the work. And if he plays with Mahu, which is the suggestion, I think he will. He is a massive runner of the football, and I think that Best will get pushed out of that a little bit because um, the winger's job is to get in there and do those carries, and it sometimes really does drop. Even a good centre who wants the ball gets less of that base, that dirty work. That just doesn't happen because the winger goes and does it. And the Knights will, if Mahi plays left wing, he's going to get a lot of dirty work and Best will probably not be backing that up. Yeah, no, that's that, that's a really good point. Makes sense. Um, I'd, I'd hold out some hope that Best will be able to come good potentially. He's the one out of the two centres that I'd maybe mm. see having some big games, but not enough to buy him for round one. Yep. Up and coming guns. They've got a couple that are interesting. Miller's come across and... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for him, he's priced off a 62.7 average in 2022. He's almost 600,000, 593,500. The good thing is that he is a fullback that you can get in your centre wing. I've seen probably way too many people jumping on Miller. He's only 6% owned, but I feel like a lot more talking about him. And I feel like he's going to be more than 10% owned soon because now he's actually officially shifted only in the last week across to Newcastle. He hasn't even started training there yet. It's going to be coming that he's going to get higher ownership at almost 600,000. Like, I'm going to say he is an up and coming gun if it comes together. I don't get it for Super Coach. And I, I'm I'm going to go against a lot of popular opinion here. I do not get it with, with Lockie Miller in general. Uh, he's a rugby player. He's like 29 years old. He hasn't played much NRL at all. He's got half a dozen games. And we've only seen him start at fullback four times, three times. I don't understand why people have automatically anointed him as this really good young prospect that's going to be a star. You know, I think it's a really good signing by the Knights um, in real life. I think they needed him. Um, I think that he played well in the games that he had last year and showed some promise. But again, he's not young. Uh, He's not hugely (laughs) experienced either. So that's not a great mix. Uh, I think that he'll be good for Newcastle as an option at 600,000. You know, if he was 300,000, he'd be the number one mid guy that you throw in your center wing. But at at almost 600,000, and what we've seen from him, like Luke said, you know, yeah, he did beat up um, well some bad teams. Newcastle in the last round of the season, he put up 88 points against him with a try, Um, scored 79 points against the West Tigers with a try, although that was on the wing, I think. He also played an 80-minute game against the Bulldogs, who weren't very good at the end of last year and scored 30 points. You know, it's it's one of those things with him where we just haven't seen enough and he doesn't have the experience for that price to be looking at putting him into your centre wing. Um, you could just get another gun. Like I made the example to someone a few few days ago. You could get Brian Tyo instead. It's not even going to be that much difference when you're looking at the money. You know, so I don't. I see him as a bit of an up-and-coming gun maybe that will come good. I see him great in real life. I don't see him as someone on the sample size and the numbers to decide that he's, you know, anointed as someone that's going to go really well as your center wing from round one. It'd definitely be risky. I've look, I've thought about it only because of the draw. Um, he's playing teams that he, you know, similar to what he beat up on last year. Um, so there's a bit in there. Uh, in real life, he's an interesting one, actually, because the Knights have actually got um, – a guy from England coming out next year who is a fullback 5'8", who prefers to play 5'8", second position is fullback. And I'm very confused as to the logic of giving up this prop in a trade to get Miller in on money to play one season at fullback when they have to play that guy there next year because he only plays fullback in 5'8", and they've moved Ponga. So this long-term plan is very chaotic, and I don't know. Maybe they look at Miller because they think he can play other positions, so he may be a wing candidate next year or something. But um, that 
gripe aside, from super coach perspective, he is a tackle buster. Uh, he is quick. He, he, he does a fair bit of work. So for the early season, I, I can see the value in looking at him and thinking he might score well. But I think the issue with the centre wing is that, that we've got no history to suggest he's a 120-plus guy. And for 590, you sort of look at the draw and you're targeting guys you think can go massive. And I guess that that would be a big stretch. We haven't seen anything from him to say he's that guy yet. Like he might come out and go 80, 70, 80, and I'll be really happy if I had him in my team. But it's a big risk for like, th- th- if that's the upside, it's a pretty big risk for the price given that we just, we just don't have much data on him for 590. So I, I probably wouldn't do it, but I-, I get the idea. It's a soft draw. He's a tackle busting player. He's hungry. He's been given an opportunity. Um, but, you know, like you said, I know they're in different positions, but he's, He's sort of more expensive than Kalen Ponga, which is quite crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. And it's it's not a, and to finish off on Miller. Like it's not being down on him either. No, and, no, I know what you mean. It's just the history. There's none. Like we well, don't. That's know the what thing. Like, like it's and, it's one of those guys where you just go. You're better off seeing what he's going to be because it's just not worth the risk at the price. And we just don't know. Like yeah, he could carve up, but we, we really don't know. It's just a shot in the dark. You can't really go off what we've seen from him. And he's going to have four weeks of work too. He's only just got there. So he's going to have worked with the spine for four weeks going into round one. So he's not been working for three months on drilling combinations. So he's coming into a halfback who's never played with the rest of the team. And then he comes in a month out from the season has never played with anyone in the team and nor is the halfback. So it is quite like, there's no guarantee, even if the Knights play well, that they're really slick and smooth in round one. It would be perfectly understandable if they weren't. Yeah. And look, he's a, he's a perfect, you know, if he does, if he does end up setting the world on fire and he looks fantastic and stuff, I'm happy to look at him a month in and go, yep, let's have a look at this, um, especially when you're going to get that value out of him until round 10. But, geez, it's it's a big call to do it round one in your centre wing. Uh, let's have a look at some of the controversial options. Um, and I will say, admittedly, with the Knights, there's not a lot of people jumping on Newcastle Knights in general. So uh, there isn't a huge amount to talk about with them, obviously because of their season last year. But when we're having a look at the second row forward spot, someone like Frizzell came up last year because he did actually go on some nice runs. And inevitably, there's these guys that have the name value and the fan base, which is totally fine. Like people want to have have some fun playing super coach and stuff. Tyson Frizzell's got a good fan base that really like him, and he's certainly a good, honest player. He averaged 63 and 65 points a game in 2020 and 2021. 2022, he averaged 57 a game. Um, and he did have a few injury-affected games, that is true. But when you go through it, it is absolute meat and potatoes. You know, he had low 50s in, in base-based attack, 44 base, which is nice for a um, an 80-minute player. But he's he's in his 30s. He's going to be 32 um, once the season ends. And it's just he's on his way out as an option. Um, and that's what I was saying a bit earlier. You know, when you see a downward tra- trajectory, that's going, you know, 63, 65, and then a 57 drop-off. If it's a young guy, you just sort of say, oh, they can get back to 60s this year for sure. There's a lot of value. When it's an older guy, that's actually probably the sign that they're dropping off. So we don't need to talk about Tyson too much except um, to say that, you know, people are going to look at him because oh, they're going to look at him because of his past and they're going to say, oh, look, there might be some value there. But at 600,000, there's a million different better options than him. Um, and there's only a couple of percent that are looking at him. Obviously, Luke, he's not an option for round one. Um, if you've got him in your side, I'd be moving him out. Yeah, I would. Um, he played injured a lot too last year, not only where he was injury-affected and went off, but he played with sternum injuries and different things where he'd play and then go off early because he just they, as soon as the game was won or lost, he'd come off and he was playing 
not at full stretch. So I see a world where he bounces back five points because he's fit and fresh, but I don't, he's playing on the right edge. So he's going to play on the opposite side to Kalen Ponga. We're not going to score a lot of points there as a rule. Uh, he's older. The injuries are likely to come back. Um, people get niggles when they're his age. He's still a good, in real life, he's still a good player. He runs a good hard line and he's, he's worth having on the field, but um, I, I don't think there's enough upside to really look at him. Let's look at the big balls pot here. Now we've spoken about trying to jump on this back line and we've, Spoken about a few guys that we thought, no, not for round one, even though they've got that great draw. If you want a piece of this draw, real huge, huge balls pod. Dom Young, I really liked him at times last year. Finished the season scoring 80, 85 and 79 points with five tries across those three games. Uh, Had a a top score of 106 versus the Gold Coast Titans, which was, uh, what, four tries? Um, Three tries, sorry. Um, absolutely went ballistic. He started the season, the first half of his year wasn't as good. Um, 46 points rounds, 1 to 10. The middle of the season was 52, but he finished off around 19 to 25, averaging 61 points a game. He is coming in priced at 53 points a game. His raw base was 24. I think that we saw that improve when the year went on. And his base base attack, you know, he had 19 in base attack with his tackle breaks and offloads, which was key. Uh, he's a young guy. And this is the thing that I like. With someone like Lockie Miller, you're a bit hesitant as a 29-year-old to say, oh, he can get heaps better. But with someone like Dom Young that is so young, no pun intended, he can get so much better than last year. And he was already pretty decent last year at 53. We spoke about the fact that the Newcastle Knights wingers score the tries for them. Now, he's another guy that's like 2% owned at the moment. Massive, massive pod. It could go badly. Um, but he still went 60-plus 40% of his games last year, which considering how bad his first half was and how he's still getting used to first grade is quite interesting. Is there a realm of possibility that Dom Young is the guy in that back line, the gem that you're searching for, that you're trying to guess to hit on for that draw that actually cleans up and you know scores five tries in that first six weeks? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, he's exquisitely talented. Uh, this unsurety about his contract is a bit of an issue. I think it would be ideal if he would sign whether with us or someone else uh, immediately so that it was just not playing out during the year because that can affect young players. I, I think he's almost unlimitedly talented as a winger. He's, you know, he reminds me a lot of um, Tupu, maybe a bit quicker, but that similar sort of really tall, rangy player that can, can be good in the air, good fast enough to finish tries and very powerful coming back. So I really like him. But I would say, I think if you're going to go, this is big balls pod. So if you want to go big balls, I think I like the potential other winger. I think that if they put Mahu on the left wing, um, there is a big shout in those first six weeks that you have to have a look. Uh, I've had a look. So Edric Lee last year scored 14 tries in 16 games on that wing in a team that was the worst attacking team essentially in the competition and, and including a five in a game. But more importantly, Edric was coming off a year and a half out of the game with a broken foot and he didn't actually score for the first four games and did very little at all. So he scored 14 tries in his last 12 games out on that wing in a pretty average side, including quite a few tries where Kalen Ponga wasn't even playing. And and traditionally that left wing has been a real money spot for tries in the nights that even as bad as we've been, that left winger has scored points. And I think if you put Mahu's effort in, if Mahu is the left winger, which is the word, so if he plays left wing and Young stays on the right, I have Mahu scoring more likely to score more tries in that first six weeks. Edric was always outscoring Young in terms of tries. And 
I, he will also do more work and is, is a beast. And I know it's a big call at his price at 580, but it's not that much more than young. And if you just, if you take a real fly on someone who could really go off, if he gets that spot, there's always the risk that he gets their defense terribly and it's in reserve grade. But if he gets that spot and they come out and they put a few points on against those teams, he could, he could get a hat trick early on or a double or something and really coast your season off hard. Yeah, he's interesting because I really love him. Like, I'd really yeah. like to have him. It's that price point mm. of 581. But, mm. you know, like, if you want to take a huge risk and go for a massive upside risk reward, you know, that's that's mm. that might be the guy. Um, and I like Luke's thinking because one of the things with Mahu that I like is that he's got a few point better base just on the numbers, but it's actually a lot better than that because he's got a game last year where he was only played three minutes and then was, you know, back off. Um, so if you look at the 80 minute games, like his raw base, really it's, it's more like 30 and even better. Mm. Like 30 is a baseline, which as a raw base is really good. Um, his base attack is also probably in the twenties that you're looking at. So you're looking at someone that's going to be fifties without any attack. And I'm quite comfortable mm. to say that about him. And it's not a sexy pick. It's a 1% ownership pick. But if he's getting 50s, which is just him playing as he has in his career so far uh, without any attack, and he starts hitting those tries, like Luke said, even at half of Edric Lee's strike rate, you could get 70-plus out of him for the first six weeks. Um, but mm. it's just a huge risk, isn't it? Because as people, human nature, you just it's harder to take that leap on guys that aren't stars or aren't big names or aren't yeah. real big up-and-comers or haven't submitted a first-grade spot. It seems like a massive risk just on name value, but the numbers and his experience that we've seen so far and what he's done even in second grade suggests that yeah. he could be... 42 trades too. you got 42 trades. 46, if, if 46. It, 46, sorry, yeah, 46 trades. If we get, you know, if we get a month in and O'Brien and all of these appalling wisdom starts playing a Nari Tuala there or something, just chuck one off him. I'm, sorry, I'm not saying you have to take a Knights winger, but if you're going to take one, I would say that the odds are 75% that he scores more tries. The left winger will score more tries than the right winger. Um, and the left winger, if it is Mahi, also has a higher base than Young. So if you're going to take a squiz on someone in that back line, they're all about the same price. They're all in the 500s, best gay guy, um, you know, Young, whoever. I'd take one on him. And if, if he gets dropped because his defense is awful and that would be very harsh because Dane Gay guy didn't get dropped and <laughs> his defense was appalling uh Young's wasn't great and he didn't get dropped Best wasn't good Tuala's the worst defender ever it'd be very unfair if it was you know if it was in a workplace you would have an unfair dismissal claim if you were dropped for bad defense <laughs> in the Knights back line because you'd be go look at all these blokes you're not dropping for the same thing so um it's it's yeah I, I I think if he plays he's every chance to have the best average in that Knights backline and you got 46 trades if it, three weeks in he gets dropped I still think you'll have gone 50-50-50 worst case in base and then gets dropped so I don't think you'll get a 20 on you so you bank a few scores and and you know get rid of him if it doesn't work out I, I really actually don't mind it because I don't like a lot of the high price wingers mm. this year and it, it, you know if he lands on a double if he scores two tries you get 120 it's um, it's that sort of. He's guy. pretty young as well, and he's looking for an opportunity, yeah. which is why he's had to move across. So you know, if yeah. anything, you should start the season pretty motivated and pretty fit and well. Um, let's yeah. finish off on the the mids and the cheapies. Hodgson is an absolute cheapie at two hundred k. Was right in my side, and then obviously Miller's come across, so it's kind of killed him. Heatherington's the other one. Heatherington's coming in at two hundred thirty odd thousand, and a lot of people are jumping on him, and with good reason. Um, so Jack Heatherington. 
obviously came across from the Bulldogs. The problem with him is always going to be his suspensions and his style of play. Funnily enough, he got used on an edge at the Bulldogs for the last year, which I don't think many people kind of expected. I don't know how well it works. We didn't get to see enough of him. He's actually 266, not 236, so I made a mistake there. Apologies. So he's a little bit more expensive, Luke, but he is that dual front row, second row forward. And it, we always talk about it in the preseason how hard it is to fill out your front row forward because generally those 200 to sort of 230K guys, you know, most of them are very small minute bench forwards and they're real slow burns or no burns and you end up trading for hardly anything uh, made on them. So, I mean, Jack Hetherington, I think it's hard to look at his numbers because he is out so much. He, he only played three games last year. Um, he scored 26 points in 70 minutes on an edge. On a different edge, he scored 56 in 80 minutes with 52 base. It was night and day. But the other game, he only played 28 minutes. So you've really got no data from last year. And the years before, he was playing exclusively as a middle. Um, average 43 a game in 2021, playing 53 minutes a game. Where do you where are you seeing him in this preseason fitting into this night side as a role? Um, I, I think that he will be primed to play a couple of spots. I think they will want him as an option to play left edge. Um, I don't know who they'll go with, but I believe they'll look at him, Fitzgibbon. I think they want him, Fitzgibbon, and Croker all able to play there. Um, so I think he will be spending some time there, whether he does in games or not. And I think probably once Clemmer left and they also have now lost one of the young guys that probably would have debuted, I think he'll have to spend time as a bench middle um, and they'll want him. I think one thing with starting the Safidis, they never wanted to start both of them because they wanted a bit of grunt off the bench. They wanted one of them to come on and, and sort of lift the tempo of the game. And I think that will probably now be Hetherington's role. Uh, as a super coach option, I think what you'll find is there'll be weeks where he might get the edge job and everyone will be, it'll be a bit Barnett-like where he'll get the edge job and you'll all want him, but two weeks later he's the lock and then he's on the bench and then he's on the edge again where he fills a few holes and frustrates you. So the way I see him is he's not a high PPM player and never has been. So he's by no means a must-have at all. Uh, like you said, it's a hard spot to fill. Second row is pretty good this year, so I don't see any reason to look at him as a second rower. But in that prop spot, I would basically look at it as if we don't get a base cheapie that you really like the look of to get 30 minutes and bump it out, there's nothing wrong with just putting Hetherington there, especially with the duel, as a slow burn, as someone that I'm you know, 99% confident he will raise in value if you just leave him there and let it happen. But this by no means should you be rushing out to get him. I think that we will see a slow burn of hundred grand or something over time. I don't see him jumping out and starting pumping out 50s and being a playable player or anything like that. Even if he gets the edge spot, as history suggests, he has a lot of low PPM games. So I just, you know, if you have to go there, go there, but don't do it with any great enthusiasm, basically. Yeah, last resort type of thing in your front row, definitely. Yeah, just pop it in, fine, he'll make some money, whatever, but like you do not need to pick him. No, definitely keep him out of your second row. Don't fall for that trap. There's too yeah. many good second row options to put there. Uh, finish you off, the Sofidi brothers. They're the last ones to talk about. They're the mid-range type of guys. Mm. And yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that both have been disappointing in different ways. Um, you know, I think... Jacob played some really good footy last year in the um, in the state of origin, but at the same time for the Knights, I expected him to get more minutes. He, in 2021, he had 43 minutes a game, scored 46 points a game. I always loved his PPM. And I marked him as um, one that I had not my eye on in 2022. And he went down to 42 points a game from his 46 year prior, even though he got two minutes extra. Now, I did think that he wasn't going to get 45 minutes. I thought he was going to get 50 plus minutes at least, um, which is where I saw the extra potential for him to score 50 plus. It didn't happen. Now, 
he's just the last three years he's been pretty consistent in forty three to forty five minutes a game. Um, his scoring has dropped from fifty one to forty six to forty two, which has been disappointing for a PPM from middle like him. He comes into this year off a State of Origin series last year where he was a bit of a bolter and he performed really well. Um, and he is going to be a cheap price point for a front rower at 437000 Is he actually going to buck the last three years, though, Luke? Is he actually going to finally get 52 to 55 minutes a game because Clem has gone now and actually fulfil some more of his potential that he hasn't? Because at 2% ownership at 437000 if he can do that, he could easily get up an extra 10 points a game, and that's a pretty big, big value pick. But the last few years have been a little bit disappointing, I have to say. And then when you look at his brother, Daniel, um, he's kind of a little bit different because Daniel did have a 60-plus average season at 63 a game in 2020, and he dropped to 59 and then to 46 last year. And the 46 last year was in 52 minutes, which he only got two minutes less than what he did in 2021. His base just went down appallingly and he stopped scoring tries. You know, we all remember that try scoring year in 2020 where Saifidi was going over for all these tries and Jacob was probably hugely jealous and last year, he just got the two. And that's probably more like what he's going to get. So where do you see these Saifidi brothers? Because I can never work them out the last few years and where they're going. Yeah, they're frustrating in a real life because they're both very talented and they've both had long periods of not playing nearly as well as they should. And I think that they actually, at different times, have both played a lot better than Clemmer has for Newcastle. Not Clemmer has ever, but Clemmer has here. But the problem was that Clemmer was at an 8 out of 10 for him every week or a 7.5 out of 10 every week, and the Twins can play 9 and 5s. And that's not how you make the NRL finals. And you have to your bad games have to be 7.5, right? You have to be there every week. And if you can ramp that up to 9 out of 10, that's fantastic. But you can't have games where you're just missing. Um, of the Twins, not interested in Jacob. He might get a few extra minutes, but I think they will. I think that Elliot will get good minutes, as we've sort of said. I think Mann will rotate through, and I think they'll probably punch through Hetherington and, and probably Leo Thompson through to relieve them and play some impact sort of stuff. And I, I think that they will want to use him, particularly Jacob, as more of an enforcer. Um, you know, I, I, I think 45 minutes is better for him than say 60 just because what he's good at is, is he, he rushes out a line, hits people hard. He gets his bumpers up and gets you quick play the balls. Um, and you need to run, you need to be aggressive to do that. The twins best footballs when they're aggressive, when they're running up hard and powering, not conserving energy, you don't really want them. Um, a great example, actually, he's got a much better motor and a better player, but Andrew Fafita I always found was more disappointing in 80 minutes than he was in 60 because in 60, he just went for it. And in 80, he sort of knew he was playing to play 80. And I think if you told the twins they're playing 60 plus minutes, you start to get that hold back effect. Um, so I don't think they'll do that. Daniel is much more interesting to me. Daniel is not much more money. He's got a better history, as you said. And the one thing to look at last year, base did drop right off. Uh, he had a absolutely appalling one of those uh, knee twist third man in tackles in the preseason. Uh, he suffered a broken leg where someone third man in went down and did the crocodile roll on his ankle and missed the first couple of months. And he just came back out of nick, as can happen. Not really... You know, he's a front rower, he's a big boy, and you can only do so much with a fractured tibia. So he was out for a long time. He came back pretty slow, and then he sort of had trouble with his medial ligament, which has been an ongoing problem for years a couple of times. So I think it was a bit of a write-off. Um, and then both of them refused to go to the World Cup. They turned down Fiji and said they owe the Knights, that they thought they had a bad season. Daniel in particular said, I don't think I what I did this year wasn't good enough for the club, and the club deserves better from that from me. I'm not going to the World Cup. I'm going to stay home and and prep for the season. So 
I don't want to say training the house down, but I mean, the attitude sounds right, doesn't it? Like they've, they've identified that they were poor last year in their own heads and taken steps privately and publicly just basically try and address that by having a big preseason and being ready. So no clamor, the minutes are there. They're in charge of the team when the front row goes. So I, I see that Daniel is, I'm not saying he's going to be a keeper, but I see him in that, again, that Welsh Collins conversation for, I see a lot of value in picking one guy like that and hoping they add 10 points rather than spending a lot at front row. And the other thing I'll say with tries is that Braley missed half of last season. And if you want the Twins to score tries, you need Jaden Braley playing. And they're a much better chance of getting those four or five tries then if he's if he's on the field, he sets up all their tries. It's going to come off. Yeah, them. and if we could do podcasts yeah. for five hours, I'd love to talk about Jaden mm. Braley too because he's another one that could, you know, back from the major injury last year, this could be the mm. year that he really shines and he's a 65-type point hooker, but we can't But get him for draft, jump on Braley for draft. But for the side feed is I agree with Luke. I like Daniel Moore, but I'm really torn, right, because he, he, there's minutes on offer, but he already played 52 last year. So I can't see him playing 60. Does the five minutes more, you know, is that enough? Normally you'd say no. But the other thing with him is that he dropped from 59 points a game in 2021 to 46 in 2022. And 2022 was just appalling. So I can look at that two ways, right? I can say, look, 2022 was just appalling. Like when I look at his numbers and look down the run sheet, he was awful. And like he had a, a game where he played 56 minutes and scored a try and he only scored 63 points. You know, that, that's just a killer. You know, other games where he played 55 minutes in the last game of the season and scored 36 points in raw base and nothing else. That's terrible for a front rower. But I can look at it the other way and go, well, geez, he doesn't even need more minutes because it was just a bad year. You know, like I don't need him to get the 59 points in 2021. He can play the same minutes as he did last year and still probably get to 52, 53 points a game. That's six or seven points of value. You add in a few extra minutes that's 10 points of value pretty easily. and He doesn't even need many more minutes. So I'm torn on him, to be honest. Um, he is at a decent price range in the 480s. Um, he is an option to consider. I could see him going well, um, but I could also see him being frustrating like he was last year with some low base that he really shouldn't have. So I'm interested to see someone for you to maybe consider. Luke, that does wrap up the podcast. It has been a monster podcast between the Roosters and the Knights chat, but I always love getting you on for it. So really appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping on. Cheers, mate. Enjoyed it. Look forward to coming on during the season. Can't wait for more chat as well. Luke, you can find on the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, which reviews old games and is fantastic. If you like old jerseys, you can follow Luke on Instagram too. You can find him. He uh, has the biggest jersey collection in Australia, I reckon. But... It is the end of the podcast, guys and girls. If you do want to download us, stream us, or subscribe, do it on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, SoundCloud. Also share it around. Really appreciate all the listens in the preseason. You can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars, all one word. Follow us on there. You'll get all the up-to-date info on when the pods are dropping and everything else. But otherwise, really enjoy the podcast. Next week, we'll be up with a new preseason podcast, episode number four, with a brand-new guest to review two teams. Good luck with your teams. Good luck with your planning. Only five weeks until kickoff. Can't wait to talk more Supercoach with everyone next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid.